day 20. One question and answer, number 53 on page 48. What dost thou believe concerning the Holy Ghost? Answer first that he is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Secondly, that he has also given me to make me by true faith partaker of Christ and all his benefits, that he may comfort me and abide with me forever. So far. Congregation, the theme for tonight is the Holy Spirit. And through the help of the Lord, three thoughts, the divinity of the Holy Spirit is God. Secondly, resisting the Holy Spirit, that's a serious thing. He is God. And to resist him, and to grieve him, and to sin against him, and to quench him. And in third place, the particular work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the divinity of the Holy Spirit, resisting the Holy Spirit, and the particular work of the Holy Spirit. Congregation, I heard about a young man who had never seen the ocean yet. A boy, maybe. He lived in Manitoba or something. Had never seen the Pacific. But then one day he was invited to come over to family members close to the coast. And he came and for the first time he saw the Pacific Ocean. He was standing there and he saw that mass of water was deeply impressed, felt so small, had a deep impression of the vastness of it and the colors and the, and, 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 and the waves. And he thought, how can I ever explain this to my friend's home? What the ocean is like. He took a little jar and unscrewed a little bit and put some water in there, sea water, ocean water, Closed again. A couple of weeks later, he went home and he showed his friends. I've seen the ocean. Here it is. And he opened it and they smelled it. They smelled the ocean Pacific. But his friends did not get a real impression of the ocean, did they? He showed them something. He took something of the ocean along. But he could not bring it over. He could not bring them there. You have to see that yourself. And even if you see it yourself, you can still not absorb it. How true is that also for knowing God? How can we know him? How can we know him personally? How can we express to others who he is? And who the Holy Spirit is. Impossible. We only can scratch the surface. We only may have a notion, a little idea of how God is. And we need the Holy Spirit himself to reveal it. So that we feel it and experience it. Who God is. And who the Holy Spirit is. So don't expect that we can be complete tonight. We speak about the Holy Spirit. There's so much to speak about. It is such a wide ocean. There's so much more than we can cover in one sermon. So don't be surprised that certain things are not emphasized and not mentioned. We have chosen some pieces to be on the table, to, to be preached. And others are not yet coming all the time. So, 
we read in Exodus 15, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. That's ah. May the Lord give ah tonight. See, I, I've smelled something. I've heard something. I've seen something. It's a little bit of God and of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. He is not the one who took upon himself the human nature. He is not the one who was crucified on the cross. He did not rise from the dead. He went out of the Father and the Son. He is the third one in the Holy Trinity. We better respect him and honor the Lord that he is triune. And the Holy Spirit is not just energy, not a power, not an it. It is a he. He, the Holy Spirit, he is a person. A person who can speak and do things and a person to get to know. He's a person. That's important. So the Holy Spirit is like God Almighty. An Almighty Holy Spirit. He can do anything. He can save people. He can make people better who have physical illnesses. But he also can save people to the uttermost. He is omnipresent. He cannot be excluded. He is eternal from eternity to eternity. He is infinite. He is just. He is good. He is patient, yet righteous. And the Holy Spirit participated already in the creation of the universe from the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water, moved, hovered. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation by the Spirit of his mouth, all things were created. The same Spirit was involved in the pregnancy of Mary. Because the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, whatever that means. And she became the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Lord Jesus was baptized, the dove came down upon his head indicating the Holy Spirit, anointing the Lord Jesus Christ and giving him the ability. Of course, he had the ability, but also in his human nature, to do the work. He is divine. He is God. He is also able to resurrect. Ezekiel 37. He shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. So the Lord gives us all the spirit in the heart of his people to make them alive. And they're temples of the Holy Ghost. What a beloved spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Wind, it says, the Holy Breath, the Holy Heir, the Holy One of Israel. It's remarkable that this Holy Spirit is also called in the New Testament something else. He's also called the Comforter. No, you're not there yet. But let me explain that Comforter is actually in Greek Parakletos. We have talked about that before. And Parakletos can be translated as being called 
to come alongside or it can mean to comfort, as I just said. It can mean to advocate, to counsel, to help, to someone who is assisting. And the Holy Spirit is typically someone to assist and to help, because without him we can do nothing. The Holy Spirit is a helper in many ways. Not help in the sense that we do part and the Lord is doing the rest. No, he is help in the sense that he is working in the hearts of people and that he is doing everything. Oh, we need him. We need him because we are helpless. We need him because we are incapable. We need him because we are dead in sins by nature. We need him because we are vulnerable and incapable and ignorant. So we appreciate the doctrine of the fact that there is a Holy Spirit. We read in the Psalms 4.16, Awake, O north wind, and come thou south, blow upon my garden, that thy spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. See, pray for that Holy Spirit. Pray to those that may come in people and follow people and be upon people and be connected to people. We need him. Without him, there's nothing we can do. The Holy Spirit is alive. He is the helper. Like we read in Ebenezer, Ebenezer meaning the stone of help. So far, thus far, the Lord has helped. In that sense, the Holy Spirit is the helper, and he draws people out of the darkness. And he comes alongside when there is turmoil and doubts and questions and confusion. And he comforts, and he is lifting up the souls. And he is speaking softly and kindly to his people. The Holy Spirit works mightily and is gone. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, Say not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, say the Lord. The Holy Spirit we also need in the weeks ahead of us. When the curatorium hopes to meet, and we hope that some young men will present their desire and present their calling to the curatorium, we need that Holy Spirit to open the hearts and to give ears and to make it well so that they feel it and know it that this is from the Lord. And of course, we are subjective, and that's why. We need that Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit works sometimes immediately on the heart. You can't say that it's only through earth. Also works directly to the heart. But he also works with the word. Whenever we open the Bible, whenever we go to church, the Holy Spirit is there. He's always connected to the Word. He's never absent. There's always a connection with the Word. So when you read the Bible, we pray for the Holy Spirit to come. You also know that He is there. You may be convinced that He is there, and that He is knocking on the door of the heart. The divinity. But does thou believe concerning the Holy Ghost First, that he is true and co-eternal God with the Father and the Son. Do you? Do you believe that? Do you believe there is a Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Was poured out on the day of Pentecost and is still working in the time we live in, the time of the Holy Spirit, the time from the coming of Christ to the second coming is the time of the Holy Spirit. 
the entire missions, he's here. And he continues with working and saving a people for himself. The divinity of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the second thought. Resisting the Holy Spirit. You remember Stephen, don't you? Stoned. They were gnashing their teeth. They're so mad. First sermon I ever preached in Chilliwack as a student, as, as a minister in, in Holland. They were so mad at him. They were throwing stones, and he spoke to him. And he said very honestly to them, Ye stiff naked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. Let me unpack that. Stiff naked. So not be able ever to bow, but to keep your back and your head straight. Then do not preach the word, when you hear the gospel, to maintain yourself, to not bow, to not surrender, to not lay in the dust, but be stiff naked. So he said, ye stiff naked and uncircumcised in heart. They were circumcised in the flesh, physically, but they were uncircumcised in their heart. They had no fear of God. It was only external religion. There was no life in their heart. Ye are uncircumcised in heart and ear. You don't even hear it. You don't even understand it. You have no antenna for it. You did this, this goes, all goes over your head. And he is accusing them. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always. That's quite a language, isn't it? Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. You're like your fathers, like your ancestors. And you resist, you, the dictionary says, you remove, you cast down, you dismember, you have no use for it, you resist the Holy Ghost, you cast it away from you, you say, I have nothing to do with it. Is it possible to resist the Holy Ghost? I thought not. I thought the Holy Ghost is so powerful and works so irresistibly, you cannot stop him. Right? And now it says, ye always resist the Holy Ghost. How can it be? Well, you're right. We cannot resist the saving work of the Spirit. When the Lord has made a decision, well, he has made a decision. When the time of God's decision has come, the Lord cannot be stopped. And he just persuades a person and changes a person and gives a new heart to a person. And the person can say, well, no, I'm not home. I, no, not now. Another time. Absolutely not. When the Lord comes, he comes with power, and he does let the person surrender, and he breaks that neck, and he brings them down. So they do not resist anymore. They begin to cooperate. By nature, we don't do that. By nature, we don't do that. By nature, we resist the Holy Ghost. He is God. He is God. He's omnipotent, but we resist the common work of the Holy Spirit. The common, the saving work of him and common work. So when you have an impression 
coming. When you just have to wipe off your teeth from your eyes. When you feel something on the earth. When you feel the Lord knocking on the door. Open unto me. Open unto me. I'm in the door and I knock. You just feel the Lord so, so close. Is that saving? Not per se. Maybe not. We will see. Maybe it's to come and work of the Spirit. So the Lord lets you feel something. Unconverted people can feel something. Unconverted people can feel something of jealousy and happiness and shame and you name it. And yet resist the Holy Spirit. And yet say no. Not not, not, not too close. So we may enjoy the sermon, we may enjoy being a church member, we may, may, may enjoy reading the Bible, but not to choose for you. As the Lord said, choose ye today who you are still halting between two opinions. And not an undivided choice for the Lord. So we cry and we are happy and we have impressions, but we resist the Holy Spirit. We see that more often in the Bible that the Lord is grieved. Genesis 6, verse 6, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. It grieved him at his heart, the, the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it can go on for years. How old are you? Forty? Four years long was I grieved for this generation. And said, it is the people that do err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. They don't care. See that? Forty years in the wilderness, in the desert. And forty years sinning. And forty years resisting. And forty years saying no. And forty years saying, I am not interested. See? Is it you? Has that become a sin? Are you defending yourself? Do you think it's more normal? Do you think it is happening all everywhere? So what's the, what's the problem? We also think of the time that the Lord Jesus was in the synagogue of Capernaum. We were talking about the Sabbath day. And the Lord Jesus asked, what was wrong? We're doing good on the Sabbath day. And we're also quite angry with him. But then the Lord Jesus was angry with them. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, Lord Jesus, with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart, being grieved. For the hardness of their heart. It's also today. Right now, the Lord is grieved for them that are unconverted and are still resisting. The Lord is so displeased with them, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. Also, the hardness of your heart, maybe tonight. But saying, so hard. I'm so displeased. So that is resisting, right? Resisting the Holy Ghost. Like your fathers also ye. May the Lord deliver us from that defensive attitude. That attitude of, I try, I go to church, I read the Bible, I do good things, I pay my duties. I do all things I'm supposed to do. No, we have to be freed from that self-righteousness.
always resisting, uncircumcised, grieving. The Bible also speaks about quenching, quenching the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, quench not the spirit. What is that quenching? It's a fire somewhere. You have a pail of water. You can just quench that fire. And it's out. No danger anymore. It has been quenched. So is it possible that there is a fire somewhere in the heart and that we quench it, that we dump the world on it, and it's just over, no impressions anymore, no clothes with the Lord anymore? Can we lose the Holy Spirit? No. If someone has the Holy Spirit, and the Lord has entered into the heart of a person, when the person has become a temple of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is not going away, ever. He does not repent of that. He is faithful to his own work. He has paid the price. He's given his blood. He is holding on to that people. So what does it mean then? To quench the Spirit. Well, you, were, you may remember David after his severe sins. He's asking, take not thy holy spirit from me. And he means then the Holy Spirit's experience, the presence, the closeness, the impressions, the sweetness. So God's children can quench that. They can, by sloppy lifestyle, by worldly lifestyle, by bosom sins, they can grieve the Holy Spirit and, in addition, also quench the Spirit so that they don't feel a child of God anymore. It's all over. They feel as if nothing happened. It feels as if they have never been converted. They have made a huge mistake. It's just all out the window. Nothing left. Quenching the spirit. And it is their own fault because of lack of prayer and lack of holiness and lack of witnessing and lack of prayer. Resisting the Holy Spirit, grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit. One more. To sin against the Spirit. That is a very serious point. The Bible speaks about that when people sin against the Spirit, then they are lost forever. They cannot be converted anymore. Let me show that. Matthew 12. Therefore, I say unto you, all manner of sin, all manner of sin, and bless me shall be forgiven unto men. But the bless me against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man Lord Jesus, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So there is a sin that is unforgivable. There's only one. Only one sin that cannot be forgiven. And it is not that you just are confused. It is not that you just don't know any better. But it is that you exactly know what is wrong. And you ridicule it. And you have no use for it. And you just blaspheme the Holy Spirit. 
sin against the Holy Spirit is, ne is never just ignorance. It is straight hostility against the God who has revealed himself in a sense. Hebrews 6, for it is impossible for those, for those who were once enlightened and have tasted, have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away. It's impossible that they shall fall away. To renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So they mock it. And they know what it is about. They have tasted it. They have tasted heavenly gifts. And they have had wonderful experiences from the Bible. They really look like God's people. But then something happens, something snaps. And there is that breaking, that blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And if that happens, there's no way back anymore. That's quite serious. The Apostle Paul writes about it, I think, in 1 Timothy 1. He is speaking about him somewhere. Do you think the Apostle Paul had sinned against the Holy Spirit? Did he know what he was doing? Did he persecute the church? Yes, did he know what he was doing? No. He did not know what he was doing. If he would have known, it would have been a different story. 1 Timothy 1, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. If people ignorantly in unbelief just have no use for the gospel, just say forget about it, I don't believe in that stuff, that is a sin that can be forgiven. But if someone has attended the Lord's Supper, and has spoken about the things of the work of the, of the Spirit, has tasted those things, and knows exactly what it's like, and then breaks away from it. That's serious. Doubting the truth is possible, but willfully and mockingly oppose the Lord is something there's no remedy for. So we need to be careful. We need to warn each other. You would say, well, if that happens, it will happen anyway. I know. We still have to also say, strive and enter the end and endure to the end and pray the Lord that you won't fall in that. He that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. There's always some pressure, always the Lord saying, strive to enter in, and continue in that. So God's children have never reason to sit back and to say, well, I'm saved anyway. Saved anyway, that is not existing in the Bible. It's always that pressure, always that continual boring. Strive to enter, enter in, into the straight gate. The Holy Spirit, the divinity, that makes it so serious to blaspheme him. 
and he is also the one we resist and the one we sequence and the one we are very grieving that this was the sin against him. Back to the catechism. Secondly, that he's also given me to make me by true faith partake of Christ and all his benefits that he may comfort me and abide with me forever. That's our third one. Congregation, a few weeks ago, I was busy in the backyard, breaking leaves or so. It was kind of quiet, no wind. And suddenly there was a wind. Suddenly all those leaves were taken up. I was disappointed because I had to do it again. I had to think about that. When you think of the Holy Spirit, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. That comes suddenly. It comes at God's time. As I have said before, you cannot resist that. That is a surprise. They say that there's no say this far and no further. And your whole inner being is changed. You receive a new heart. So that is that surprising work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit convinces. Studying this, I read that someone summarized the work of the Spirit by the words after us, in us, and upon us. After us, if you're after someone, right? So you are persisting after someone. So the Holy Spirit is after the elect. He is the hound of heaven. Like in the olden days when they were chasing hare with horses and young men, also with, with, with special dogs, trained dogs, then there was that hound that was just chasing the hare. So the Holy Spirit is the hound of heaven. He pursues, he follows, he's after the elect. And he catches them at his time. Do you know what I'm talking about? And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. So when the Holy Spirit comes after someone, and just holds someone, there is conviction coming. He reproves you. He accuses you. Of what? of making mistakes and making many faults in his life and not being perfect? No, not only that. But the Holy Spirit reproves words of the sin of unbelief, of sin because they believe not on me. John 16, verse 8 and to 11. So the Holy Spirit convinces when he has the hound of heaven holds onto someone. He reproves that person not only of a sin here or there, but of unbelief, of sin because they believe not on me. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. There is a particular work of the Holy Spirit to convince people and to hold on to them and to say, I don't let you go anymore. 
he convinces of righteousness, not our righteousness, but the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he convinces also of judgment because the prince of the world is judged. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to convince, to reprove. It's also the work of the Spirit to make things known, to please your ears. We have no ears and no hearing aids. We are deaf. And the Holy Spirit, he opens your ears and you hear something you have not, never heard before. It's so new. It's the spirit of truth. How be it, John 16, 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit peace in the ears. You hear things you haven't heard before. You hear the truth. And he guides you in the truth. He shall not speak of himself. The Holy Spirit doesn't like to talk about himself. The Holy Spirit likes to talk about the Son of God. He likes to talk about Jesus. That is his particular work. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear. He glorifies the Son. Or also John 16. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The Holy Spirit takes things out of Christ, and he says to God's people, see, look at it. This is what you need to hear. So the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, makes Christ known. Again, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. So the Holy Spirit convinces and reveals and glorifies. He sanctifies as well. Elect, the apostle Peter says, the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit. The sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't only bring to Christ and makes him known and takes out of him and glorifies Christ. He also sanctifies people. He gives them a desire for holiness. And they begin to fight the good fight of faith. The Holy Spirit motivates. The Lord Jesus breathed on them, right? And they received the power of the Holy Spirit. He assures as well the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are his people. But let me give you some more details on prayer. The Holy Spirit teaches people how to pray. Not only exactly what to say, but how that feels to just make, the, make them genuine and make them real so that they have a real contact with heaven and that the prayer goes to the ceiling, to God. It doesn't, doesn't bounce off. It just goes through. 
but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Have you ever prayed in the Holy Ghost? Had something you feel, you know, that is a prayer you, you get. You know, something that you fabricate yourself and do your best to pray a good prayer. No, you receive it. And you have opening in prayer. And there is a prayer that is called the prayer in the Holy Ghost. Or Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Or Romans 8, I like Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth. See, he's a helper. The Holy Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we are. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the Holy Spirit creates a prayer heart that you cannot even express, that you cannot utter. There are no words for that. He helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we are, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. See? So the Holy Spirit has special work to do. He convinces, he reveals, he glorifies, he sanctifies, he motivates, he assures, he gives prayer, and there's much more. No time for that. Let me mention a few things. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of His work, is love. Oh, love for the Lord. And love for the Lord Jesus. And love for the Bible. And love for the Lord's law. And love for the gospel. And love for people. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Joy. Have you ever had that joy in the Bible? Reading it? In prayer, Lord giving opening, and you enjoying it profoundly. Joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, gain such there is no law. See? So the Holy Spirit sanctifies and sanctifies also, in particular, all those things. The Holy Spirit works mightily. John the Baptist already talked about that. And Lord Jesus did. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mighty than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to, he, to, to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. See? The Holy Spirit comforts us out. And the Holy Spirit also fills. All those people are baptized with the Spirit. Not all are filled with the Spirit. There's difference. Baptized with the Spirit means that you're saved and forgiven. Filled with the Spirit means that you have been equipped for a special task and that you have special gifts received for the work you're doing. <clears throat> so consider this for yourself. 
the Holy Spirit is after us, after God's people. He does not give up. It is relentless. The Holy Spirit is that hound of heaven. And he will catch them. He's after them. And he is also in them. Verse in them. And they became temples of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit also comes upon them. To this also make them witnesses. And to equip them for the work in this world. The work of mission and evangelization and witnessing. See. Secondly, that he is also given me, in me, to make me by true faith partake of Christ. He takes it out of Christ and brings it unto God's people by true faith and also all his benefits, all those gifts that he may comfort me. It is one of those coming alongside things. He is the comforter and he is the counselor, he is the helper. And abide with me forever. He will not give up. He will hold on to his people. Congregation that is the Holy Spirit. He is called a helper to help people that are absolutely helpless and cannot help themselves in any shape or form. Oh, there is a Holy Spirit. Call upon him. Find him. He can work. He is able to do things we can. He can even teach you to pray. Seek him and live. Amen.